Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Okay, I got a plan, and this time it's going to involve all the money. Hey everybody, what is going on? Today is Monday, it's the 14th of March, 2016. Let's go ahead and get some of that contact info out of the way and then I'll fill you on on what's been going on lately. I've got the voicemail, which is 206-745-2731, 206-745-2731. I've also got the email address, so if you'd like to record your own audio, which generally turns out to be higher quality, even if you're just doing it on your phone, and send that in to me. Or if you'd rather just write an email and have me read it out, be more than happy to do that as well. And the email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have on the website fa- uh, buttons, excuse me, for Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show financially, there is a, a PayPal donation button as well as an Amazon search box. Although the search box, I think I'm going to probably get rid of that here pretty soon. Anyway, let's go ahead and jump into the days of my lives, and we'll see what's going on here. About a month ago, I had a medical issue, and I don't know how much the detail of it I'll get into. It, uh, not for any privacy concerns or anything about that or anything I'd be embarrassed about, but just I don't know if it'd be boring for you or not. But anyway, we'll jump in and we'll say here we go. About a month ago... I had a gallbladder attack, and I ended up in the ER room. And it started out as I felt like, oh, you know, I felt like sometimes you'll get gas or bloating, and it's kind of painful, and it sort of seemed to go away, and then all of a sudden it sort of ratcheted up to 11, and it didn't let up. And eventually I got to the hospital, they did a bunch of tests, and they said, yeah, we're, you know, about 98% sure that that's what it is. And, of course, it turned out that's what it was. And... They gave me, uh, at the time I, I went in, it, it, the, the main attack came about probably like three in the morning on the, on the 19th of, uh, of February and I got discharged from the ER probably around like 1030. So something like that. Anyway, they gave me some pain medication. When we got home, I took a dose of that at around three o'clock and then I took another dose before going to bed just so that I could sleep through the night. And then after that, I didn't take anything. Uh, the, the pain that I had had kind of subsided and all this, that, and the other stuff. So, But anyway, talked to some surgeons and, and uh, some doctors and stuff, and they're saying, well, the, you know, what you probably need to do is have it removed, and you know, you're going to probably experience another attack with the severity that you had and with some of the symptoms that you had. And so uh, by the time I was able to get in and talk to some surgeons, some time had passed, and then uh, by the time the surgery was scheduled, uh, which was actually done last week, which was uh, on the 8th, which was a Tuesday. So I'm about a week out from that, and 
when I actually had the surgery, they, they, when you, at least with me, in my case, when I came out of surgery, I experienced some pain. And so they gave me some medication, uh, some narcotic pain medication. I'm not exactly sure what it was, if it was like a Percocet type stuff or whatever they're giving you anyway, they give you that. And at that point I didn't take any, after that, the only thing I took was Advil. Uh, because the, the, when they do the surgery, uh, if some of you guys are unfamiliar with it, basically your gallbladder kind of, if you were looking at a, you know, one of those anatomy chart things, the gallbladder is sort of on your right side and it sits on the, underneath the upper part of your rib cage. So under your left pec muscle, kind of down from there where your rib cage starts, that gallbladder is kind of located under there and uh, it's down, it's around by the liver and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Uh, so I had some, they do it, uh, what they call, um, they go in and they use the scopes. What do they call that? Uh, arthroscopic or something like that. It's probably the wrong word or I'm pronouncing it wrong, but anyway, that's what they did. So I have like four incisions that they did on that. And I'm aware of like today, I haven't taken any type of pain medication or any Advil or anything like that. So I'm aware of some of them. They kind of sting a little here and there if you move the wrong way. Um, but the first few days, you can really tell that you've had surgery. You can tell that, uh, you know, taking a deep, a big, deep breath, you're, you're moving those muscles that have been had, you know, the small cuts and stuff in there. So you can tell, and it, it got me to thinking, you know, what do you do if you're, if you're home, but you still want to be able to defend yourself, but you're on a pain medication. What's the decision that you make? Who's going to kind of, and if you're incapacitated, so let's say if you had, we're, we're, laid up from a major surgery and it wasn't something because I could walk around that first day. It didn't feel the greatest, but I could walk around and I could move. And if I actually had to, I could probably have operated a firearm. I wouldn't have wanted to. And I don't think that I would have, especially that first day home or the first, when I, when I got home and I still had that kind of that medication and the anesthesia th- through, through your system. And it's not that I wouldn't have been able to make clear decisions or anything like that, but I, I would hate to have have to gone into court and explained that, yeah, I, I was in the situation and these were the things that were in my system, these heavy narcotics. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if it was a, a iffy situation or a situation where you had a prosecutor who was you know looking for blood, that they would use that against you. And I don't know if you would, I, I, I don't know how easily you would have uh, in court being able to defend that. And of course, a lot of it would just depend on the circumstances that surrounded your particular uh, self-defense scenario, I guess. But anyway, kind of getting off in the weeds here a little bit. But again, that main thought was, well, you know, if, if you were by yourself, of course, you don't really have a lot of options. But if you have a, a spouse or a significant other, or if you live with uh, roommates or something like that, what would be your plan if something were to go wrong? If there were a home invasion or a burglary or something like that, you know, what, what do you, what would you feel comfortable doing? And I know it's, it's, it's all up to the individual on what they would feel comfortable with, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear from you guys on kind of what your thoughts on that were, uh, especially if you were taking pain medication, if you needed to take the pain medication other than, you know, other, obviously there's something different than an Advil, but if you were taking like a Percocet or an Oxycontin or, and I have no, I don't know anything about them, but one thing though, I will tell you about the, of when I had the attack, 
And then when I got home and I took those doses, it did take a day or so for that to, after I took my last dose for that to, I felt to get out of my system with, with that stuff in your system. It, for me, the stuff that I took, the pain medication that I took from the attack the first day, it makes the food taste different. It makes, it it made my ability to accurately kind of gauge the passage of time was a little off. Uh, my conversation was a little off and it wasn't like, you know, I was, I was a drooling mess or anything, but there was definitely a tweak there. I was definitely off. I wasn't a hundred percent me. Now I may have only been 90% me or 98% me or something. I don't, I don't know if I had to put a number to it, but I definitely wasn't functioning at a hundred percent. And I'm a type of person where if I can avoid taking any type of, uh, especially like a narcotic pain type medication, if I could get away with using Advil or Tylenol or something like that, I would much rather take that because I don't like the effects that it have has on me. I don't like feeling a certain way and knowing that I can't just say, okay, snap out of it because it's, you, you've got the stuff in your system. So anyway, I'd like to hear kind of your guys' thoughts on what do, what would you what would be sort of your solution in that situation if you were on a uh, on a thing where you you had to be on pain medication and you knew it kind of altered your judgment would you have your spouse or significant other maybe kind of take up that role or be the primary person during your your convalescence or your recovery if you have a spouse or significant other that really isn't into guns or doesn't like guns very much or you or they don't really have the training you know, what, what do you do? What, what would be your plan if something went down? You know, are you going to try and work through it yourself? And there's a lot of people out there who are in situations where person A in the relationship is the gun person and person B in the relationship isn't. And maybe, maybe person B has rudimentary training or maybe person B has zero training and zero interest. And my wife and I have talked about this, this stuff a lot and she's made she, she doesn't have a huge interest in it, but she understands and she's made the effort to get some training and she's made the effort to understand and be able to work the firearms that I have. And while she doesn't necessarily want any for herself, the discussions that she and I have had are, you know, if something bad happens, I may not be able to do anything. I may be laying on the floor, bleeding out. And the only way I'm going to survive is if you have the ability to return fire, if you have the ability to operate that firearm. And she understands that, and she and and, and, and I commend her on a lot of the efforts that she's made. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to get your guys' kind of thoughts on that stuff. So, you know, what would you do in that situation? So let's kind of move on to a little bit maybe more gear-related stuff. I recently purchased a, uh, it's coming in the mail. I recently purchased a Surefire 300, X300 Ultra B, or I don't know all the stuff. Anyway, it's, it's, the, it's a, a weapons mounted light. It can be used on a handgun or on a rifle. It's primarily for me will be on a handgun so that if something happened at night or in a low light situation at home, I'd be able to do it. Whether or not I'll have that particular light on my carry gun all the time, I don't know. 
Uh, I do have a, usually a flashlight with me and I, I need to rectify that situation where I have one with me a hundred percent of the time instead of about 90% of the time. Anyway, you know, there's some pros and cons and people have some different philosophies about weapon mounted light. Uh, some people will say, oh, you don't need anything over 150, 200 lumens. Some people will say you need something that is super bright that if you did shine it in somebody's face, it's re- it's going to light them up. They're, they're going to be incapacitated with it, at least for a couple of seconds, you know, and, and they're not going to be able to get their bearings. Uh, other people on the on the the lower lumen light say, well, if you you know around 200 is fine because then you're not going to get blinded by the light bouncing back off your walls in your home. This, that, and the other thing. Other people will counter that with, you don't have to shine it. You know, if if you're going down the thing, you can have it momentarily. You can flash it on. It's going to light up that room. Uh, you can point it more down at the floor, maybe even more up toward the ceiling. There's other schools of thought in that the the weapon mounted light on a, on a handgun that it should be a, a secondary source of illumination for you and that you should have a handheld light. And you you can of course do that with a, the handgun, but you can't really practically do that with a rifle or with a shotgun. If that's your primary thing, you, you're probably the, the, the conventional wisdom or the conventional thought, I guess, is that, the light should be on that particular firearm. And it seems though that with the light being on a rifle or if a, with the light being on a shotgun, a lot of the objections magically disappear that they have to a light being on a handgun. Meaning the stuff of if you're going through the house, if you've got a rifle or a shotgun, the problem of pointing it at something that you don't want to point it at seems to go away. So I I don't know. For me, I see the validity in having a weapons-mounted light on your handgun and on any shotgun or rifle that you're going to use for home defense. And I also see the validity of having, especially with a handgun, of using a handheld light. Flashlights are are things. They're... they're, uh, I guess you'd, I don't know if you'd call them a machine or not, but they're, they're something that's made by a person. So it's something that can fail. Batteries can give out when you think you could put brand new batteries in there. And for whatever reason, maybe you got duds and you go to, to, you test it a few times it works. And then when you need it, the batteries fail. So uh, I am a big believer in that two is one, one is none, but you could also think up a lots of different scenarios uh, where you've got a light on the gun and you've also got a handheld light and you're using a handgun and you've got to get to your kid's room or something like that. Um, so the, the, the option for you to stay in your room barricaded and wait for them to come to you, you don't really have that option because you have children or, or other people that you're in charge of and you got to get to them. If your only option is to say, well, I'm just going to have that handheld light and I'm going to have my handgun what happens if you need to pick your kid up? What happens if you, because they're, they're half asleep, what happens if they're too afraid to really move and you've got to kind of drag them back to your room or you've got to exit, you know, so, you know, you can make up lots of different scenarios, but I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is sometimes I think we make much ado about nothing, especially with some of the gear and some of the training things. And 
we tend not to look at common sense. We tend not to look at things logically. And we tend to sometimes look for problems where there really aren't any. And what's that old saying? Sometimes we look, we have a solution that's in search of a problem. And some of the stuff with the, with the light, uh, I, I think, is a little bit of that. I've done experiments in my home with some of the brighter flashlights that I have that are around like 350 lumens. And you can, if you, even in pitch black night, you know, getting up, you can, if you do it against the wall or if it hits the mirror and bounces back, yeah, it can blind you a little bit. But with a little bit of common sense, you can click it on, click it off. You can shine it up against the ceiling or down on the floor and you'll get like that spill. So you'll be able to do stuff. And then in that spill of light, you're going to be able to reasonably identify what. And if you see something that you need to identify, then you can pop that light up. And I understand people saying, well, if you're doing that with a weapons mounted light, then, you know, you may point the gun at your kid or you may point the gun at your grandmother or, your, uh, you know, whoever is living with you type thing. But again, it's funny with with I don't hear that objection as much with if you've got a light on a shotgun or a rifle. And it seems like if you've got a shotgun or a rifle, people kind of say, well, I guess, you know, you you can do all that, you know, using the spill light, this, that, and the other thing. Anyway, let me know what experience you guys have, have had. I ended up going uh, with the Surefire because for me, it met the needs that I wanted it to meet. I thought that while it was a little bit more expensive than the Streamlight, I thought from my research, it seemed to be a little bit more reliable and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, poop all over your, your Streamlight. If you have one, just for me, I, I decided to go with the Surefire. Um, what else was I going to talk about with the lights? Oh, uh, how we got to me actually getting the weapons light is my wife and I were talking about something one night and we were going over some stuff and she had said something like, oh, I, did you see that article or did you, did you hear about the guy that he had, uh, he heard a noise in his house and he accidentally shot his wife or his fiance or something like that. He, he shot somebody. I can't remember who. And uh, luckily I think the person survived. And I was like, oh no, I didn't hear about that. And so she kind of was, you know, made a joke like, oh, for the love of God, don't shoot me when I'm going into the bathroom. And I said, well, you know, and so we kind of made some jokes and then we laughed about it. And then we got kind of to a serious discussion about, and I was like, well, the reason that person got shot was because that guy didn't identify his target and he just took a blind shot. And I said, the reason he didn't identify his target is number one, he couldn't see it. And number two, he probably didn't have any type of light on his weapon or with him. He didn't have a flashlight. And I said, that's why it's important to get one. And I talked to her about, oh, I've been thinking about getting one for a little bit, but haven't quite pulled the trigger yet. And so she was like, well, I think you should get it after discussion. You know, we, we talked about it. And so I said, well, this is how much it's probably going to cost and this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, you know, to her credit, even though she's not, I wouldn't call her a gun, a gun gal or anything like I'd said before, she really makes an effort and she understands the logic and she understands the reasons, you know, beyond an emotional response of, of, you know, either you should do it or you shouldn't do it. But she's, she's very, very good at being able to talk things out and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. That, that would actually work or this, you know, wouldn't work or, you know, so anyway. So I'm actually quite fortunate that way. And uh, I think, I, I don't remember if I talked about it last time uh, or not, but 
Well, well, I tell you what, we'll we'll get into some. I we'll talk a little bit more about suppressors, and we'll we'll get into that here a little bit later uh, into the show. So let's talk a little bit. We'll skip off some of the gear, and we'll eventually come back around to it. But let's talk a little bit about some of uh, the political stuff, and we'll start off with some of the stuff out here in Arizona. I belong to the Arizona Citizens Defense League, which is a really neat organization out here. And they do quite a bit for gun rights, and they work with the uh, our legislative branch out here at the state level. And we actually are able to get quite a bit of stuff done. There's some some things that I would like to see them go after a little bit harder, and and I've written my legislators about it. But I think I'm really going to have to kind of get off my butt and get some things going on. But and I'll talk about some of those things maybe at a later show. But Let's for right now, let's talk a little bit and we'll kind of do a, a little bit of a recap and follow up of what I talked about on the show last time is we've got some good bills that are coming through and we've got some good bills that one of them is talking about that in Arizona, we have, we still have private sales or what you would call maybe private transfer of, uh, of a firearm. And one of the bills that's going through is saying that as long as we're, we're doing that probably to another Arizona citizen is that we don't have to go through any any other additional federal stuff meaning like a nix check or you know the closing the quote unquote the, the gun show loophole type thing that we wouldn't have to do that so the next step it, it's gone through um it, it's it's gone out of the senate and it's it's gone into some committee hearings and stuff like that there'll be a, a senate rules committee stuff that it has to go through and hopefully that'll get passed there's also a thing about how the um, if cities or or the state, if they say, well, if you do sell a, a, a firearm privately, you have to pay a two hundred dollar tax or whatever on that, blah blah blah. And if you don't, then you'll be in violation. And they're trying to put some legislation and pass that saying that the that the cities and states or any political subdivisions, because uh, sometimes you have these towns that aren't incorporated, and it's basically saying that they would not be allowed to trump up a bunch of fees that would in effect end a private sale. Cause if you had to report it on a, uh, as taxable income or pay a fine or pay a, uh, uh, pay a fee type stuff, then you obviously you have to report that and report what you sold, who you sold it to and all that stuff. So it basically becomes uh, an end at that point to private sales. Oh, there's also stuff about, again, a lot of the stuff right now is, that we're seeing is again, the private sales or personal ownership of, of uh, firearms. So one of the things that's going through is, and it's, it's, it's a little odd how it's worded, but it's, it's basically saying that you can't use resources that the state agencies can't use their own resources or other resources to enforce federal law. So if the federal law said, well, you can't have, private sales of, you know, between individuals or something like that. But then the state law says you can, then what they're saying is that if this law passes, it's another protection saying that even if they pass something wacky at the federal level, at the state level, it could still be fine. And then there's a couple other things that are just kind of like technical referencing things. And then there's also a thing that says, uh, oh, about interstate compacts between the different states and things like that. So and again, that's, that's a little bit more technical stuff, but it has to do with kind of a lot of that stuff has to do with protecting the state's rights and reining in or or um, at least giving some checks and balances if, if some federal stuff is passed. And I think that's about it. 
unfortunately, the way that stuff works out here in Arizona, there's tons of committees and tons of rules, committees and all this other stuff. And sometimes bills that, that seem to have a lot of traction will get to one of these committees and then they're just kind of quietly die. And uh, hopefully, hopefully some of these things will go through. So now let's talk a little bit about some of on the national scale. So I, like I talked about this a little bit on the last show is that we do have the election coming up and on the federal level, people are basically kind of losing their mind. However, I'm not saying that I'm losing my mind or that you as a listener are losing your mind, but I would counsel again, I'm going to repeat some of the stuff I said last time. If Hillary Clinton gets the nomination, which I think she will, I think we're going to see a wave of panic buying again from people. If Sanders gets it, uh, I think we'll see some, but maybe not as much. As far as the Republican nomination, if Trump gets it, I think we'll see, we I actually do think we'll see a wave of panic buying uh, because I, I think there's a lot of people out there who think that if it's Trump versus Hillary, which is I think is I don't know if it's if that's what it's going to be. I do think it's probably going to be Clinton. Hillary Clinton will get the nomination for the for the Democrats. Republicans, I, I don't know. I still think it's probably I think it might be Cruz is can he beat Hillary? I don't know. People don't seem to like him much. A lot of people love Trump. I don't care for him at all. I think he's kind of a, a blowhard. I've, I've listened to his speeches. I tried to set aside emotion and tried to listen to some of his speeches. And there's there's really no substance there. He doesn't really talk about issues and solutions. A lot of times he just says, well, I'll be the best at it and we'll win and we'll do this. And he says a lot of catchphrase stuff. But when you actually listen to a lot of the things that he says, there's there's not a lot there. When you listen to Clinton, you know, it's the same old nonsense. When you listen to Sanders, it's this sort of this uh, out there socialistic stuff that doesn't take into account the, the economics, the, the basic understanding of economics. Um, but anyway, if it, like I said, if it is going to be Clinton, when it's announced that she gets it, you you're going to see some panic buying again right now you can go out and you can buy if you want you can buy a k like i talked about before you can buy a case of 22 long rifle you may pay a lot for it now a case is about 5,000 rounds well it's not about i guess it is 5,000 rounds anyway you can get it and and you can get it right now and you can get it shipped out to your house probably within a week is that going to be the same few months from now i don't know right now you can buy Glock 17 magazines at, uh, oh, I think it was, I saw, I got an email from uh, Natchez for around 20 bucks. Are you going to be able to do that a few months from now? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Right now you can get AR-15s. You can get AK-47s. You can put in your order form. You can get them. Is that going to be the same? Probably not in a few months. Something is going to happen. So right now, if you can, and like I said, I'm generally not a guy that advises people kind of to put a lot of stuff on credit card, but if it was your only, if it was your only option, I would say to go ahead and do it. And some people would say, Oh, you should never do it. They're the devil. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's take a little step back and let's, let's get into reality again. If, if you're irresponsible enough not to be able to handle a credit card, you shouldn't have one in the first place. And a lot of people don't want to hear that, but that's the truth. 
if you're responsible enough to have a credit card and use it appropriately, then you can make a couple of big purchases on it and then just pay it off like you should and not go crazy with it. So again, my advice is if you always wanted an AR-15, if you always wanted a Ruger 1022, the takedown, if you've always wanted a Model 97 shotgun, if you've always wanted a AK-47, if you've always wanted a, an FAL or something like that, go ahead and, and get them. Get them now while you can because I, I don't know if they're going to be around. I think as the election draws closer that people are going to say, you know what, last time I got caught with my pants down and the time before that I got caught with my pants down, but this time I'm not. I'm going to get what I want. And some people will wait and they will wait until the evening of the election to see what's going to happen. And if a Republican gets in, whoever that's going to be, whether it be Trump or Cruz, I don't know, there won't be much panic buying. I I still think with Trump, there will be some panic buying. Maybe not a lot, but I I think that if if he actually gets the nomination, there will be some. And I kind of talked about that why before, because I think maybe some people think, well, he's not going to be able to beat Clinton type thing. And so they're going to say, oh, no, it's time to start buying. So, again, if you want to get those magazines, if you want to get anything, go ahead and get it now while you can. Uh, because you're you're gonna you're gonna feel much better having it in your hot little hands than uh, than not. Now, with something like magazines, do you need a hundred AR-15 magazines? Probably not. You know, a number that I would consider probably high to have would be twenty. But you know, when you can buy a PMAG for twelve, thirteen dollars, you could buy two a month, and in five months, you know, you 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 would have all you would need. Uh, assuming you've got, you know, a few now, so you, you know, you could, you could buy those same thing with AK mags. You can get AK mags for 12, $13 steel ones. You can, you know, you can get decent ones. You can get, um, uh, Glock magazines on sale. You can find them for 19, $20. I haven't had any experience with the Magpul Glock mags. Um, but I've heard that they're good. I know that maybe there was a few bumps in the road here and there, but I think they've got those ironed out. But again, you can get those relatively cheap. So, you know, get, get what you want to get while you can. And so speaking of that and kind of getting what you, what you want to get while you can get it, I have been looking at getting a 22 suppressor. I've been, I'm just putting my feet in the water and excuse me, I take a drink here. Oh, that's better. Uh, I've just been putting my feet in the water and starting to do some research on getting a 22 suppressor. But, and I've talked about before, I don't have any threaded barrels for 22. I'd like to also get a nine millimeter suppressor, but that may be a little bit down the road. I, um, the reason I want to get the 22 first is because my wife and daughter, I think I can get them out to the range more if I have that, especially my wife. Uh, But anyway, I'm looking at getting a 22 suppressor, so I'd like to have some recommendations from you guys. Pros and cons of them, or if you've had any experience with them or uh, or that. But I, I need to also get, I don't have any threaded barrel. So I've got a, a Ruger 1022, the little carbine, and I probably need to get a different barrel for that. I've got a, that Mark II, uh, the Ruger pistol, and I need to get a threaded barrel for that. The problem I'm running into is as I'm doing the research on those, is that those 
when I look at the, let's say the, the 1022 barrels, when I look at those that are threaded, they seem to start maybe around, oh, for a threaded barrel, probably around like, let's say if you got one on sale, $180 for the bare minimum and probably closer really to about $200. Uh, I, I saw there was a barrel from Kid and that was a, a threaded barrel. It was about 200 bucks. And then it kind of goes up from there. I saw some from Volkortsen, which are around like the 250, and then you go up from there, and they're actually probably more. Oh, 250 would be. I don't know. You, you're probably looking more like 260, 270 just to to get in there. Uh, I've looked at or um, tactical solutions, and I've looked at a couple other things, and again, uh, they run around like 250 dollars or so. I looked on Midway and on Brownells, and they're about the same, uh, about 250 bucks, depending on what you're gonna, what you want to get. And I may end up doing that. Part of the problem, though, is you know you could buy a regular Ruger 10.22 for about that price, but I don't know. Um, with the with the pistol stuff, I don't. I, I've just again, like I said, just started putting my toe in the water but if you look at like tactical solutions their pack light version they're around like 300 and some odd dollars if you look at their oh what's the other one they've got like a trail light those are around depending on what you want to get those are around anywhere from 240 to about 260 bucks um, I'm not exactly sure and I don't I don't have enough knowledge to know would those fit do they make them that fit on a mark II? Or is it only for like a Mark III? Um, so I, I'm not 100% sure on those. Uh, but they're out there, and I, I may get those. I, I don't know. I haven't, and I'll eventually find out. I don't have all the information on the, you know, what's the difference between, like, let's say, like a trail light and uh, a pack light. So I looked, and I even looked at maybe getting one of their tactical solutions, one of their full pistols. But it was like $1,000, and I'm like, I'm not going to pay $1,000 for that. That's crazy. So, uh, and then I kind of, you know, was thinking, oh, well, maybe I should buy something like, um, you know, the the Walther, and I think I talked about this last time, uh, the Walther, they're, they're 22, um, because it comes with a threaded barrel and like the little thread protector on there and everything. Uh, but if you look at those, some of those are around, eh, I think it's the PP. No, is that a, is that a PPQ? I think that's what it is. I think it's the PPQ. They're $22, uh, $22. If I wish they were $22, I'd be buying them right now. The, um, the Walther, I've seen those go for around, oh, like high 200s up around to the high 300s, depending on what you go when I get it for it. But, you know, maybe around 280 to, to like, you know, oh, uh, 300 and some odd dollars. And I could probably find one cheaper, you know, if I waited around for it. But so I kind of go back and forth on that. And one of the reasons why I talked about before was it's similar uh, in sort of shape and feel a little bit towards, you know, towards the, the HK that I have, the VP9. So it would kind of be a little bit of a similar feel on that. Uh, 
And, you know, with any gun, there's, it seems like there's always some people that are naysayers on them and say, you know, don't get this, don't get that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and some people, some people say, oh, the Walther, the PPQ 22 is, uh, is an awesome little gun. Other people say, oh, it's no good. So I, I don't know. Um, one thing I liked about the, my, that Ruger Mark two that I was telling you guys about last time was that it just eats up pretty much any, any, uh, any ammo. And I don't know if the, my Mark my Mark II doesn't seem to be as ammo sensitive as some of the other newer guns. So I don't know if it makes sense then for me to get a different barrel. And if I do that, since I'm basically just taking that top part off and putting the, you know, we'll call it like an upper, putting a new upper on, you know, I might run into some reliability issues there. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. I, I shudder to think of what it would be to have that barrel machined and threaded again, it would probably be a right around the same cost. I don't know, maybe around like three, $400 or something. So at that point, do we just say, well, leave that well enough alone and, and buy something else or by buying that new upper, I can always go back to the old one, that type of thing. So, you know, anyway, and it's going to be sort of the same thing with the Ruger 10:22 for the rifle. Uh, and eventually I'd like to get one of those, but I mean, just looking at that, you're looking almost like $600 or so. And then I would look at another, depending on what suppressor I would get. Oh, wow. At least what? Well, you got the $200 tax stamp. So there's that. And then you've got, if I set up the trust, there's a cost for that. There's a cost for uh, the actual suppressor itself, depending on which one I get, which could, what, it'd be at least a minimum of 300 bucks. So I'm looking at, you know, oh. Maybe let's see. Let's say if I bought both of those, three hundred, six hundred, another uh, eight hundred. Oh boy, probably close to about a thousand dollars once it would all be said and done. Now, granted, I wouldn't have to lay all that money out at first or at the at at once, and I could maybe find some stuff if I can bargain hut around here and there. So anyway, uh, that's kind of my my uh, thing on suppressors. So if if you guys have any experience with them or you you have a, a particular one that you think is a favorite or you think that works pretty well. I know I you want to want to be able to clean them you know, relatively easy. So like I said, I'm learning stuff. You know which one is it has an easy disassembly. You know do you have to have tools? Do you not need tools? Can you just use a wrench? Uh, is it a thing of uh, I, I know certain ones of them they give you these tools and they make the disassembly easier and, and stacking the different baffles. Some of them have sleeves, some of them don't. You know, is there a plus or a minus to that? So uh, anyway, I think I've talked about suppressors. I talked about lights. I talked about political stuff. What else is there? Mm, you know, let's, it's it's funny with the political stuff. Some people get really frustrated. And I, I'm one of them, although I, I'm getting a little bit more distance from it. But they get frustrated with how gullible people are. And I was thinking about this, and maybe this is kind of a harebrained thing, but maybe not. I was thinking about this the other day in that why is it that we are so willing, not only as a nation, but just as, as other countries do it as well, I guess. But it seems, especially here in America, that we're so willing to whatever the latest thing we're seeing on TV is what we're, we just sort of accept. 
and we, we sort of forget what happened in the past. And I think a lot of the politicians really count on that and bank on that. And I was, and I was trying to think, well, why is it we have such a short memory? Why is it that it doesn't seem to matter? And part of it is, you know, your sports team. If, if it's your team that you want to get in power, you're going to overlook a lot of the nonsense and the BS. But I wonder if, if part of it is that we've been, when you think about it, we've basically had a box in our home since probably the 50s, maybe the mid to late 50s. Every, almost everybody had a TV. And, and by the 60s, well, pretty much everybody has. So at least for the past 50, almost 60 years, if you, if you want to look at it that way, uh, we've had an influence that comes into our home and says, this is the best, this is how it is. And then it's also a thing of, in the marketing we've had a, a, a thing of this is a new improved thing. So what we said before doesn't really matter what went on before you forget about that. And you focus on what we're telling you now, because now is this new improved thing. Now is this, this is the best thing that you can get. And there is some truth to that. There is some improvement, but there's also a lot of just kind of flim flam and marketing. And there's a lot of not really looking at what stuff actually is. And, and, you know, with my other show with the Armed Ape, when I was doing reviews, a lot of the things that we talked about and one of the major kind of uh, uh, criteria that I had was I needed to ask certain questions. And those questions were, number one, what is this thing designed to do? And number two, how well does it do it? And then number three, what are the, you know, kind of like the downsides of it? Number four, you know, what would you like to see made from the actual manufacturer for improvements? And then number five was a thing of, you know, if you had a certain thing and, and you did some modifications to it, did it make it better? Did it make it worse? That type of thing. But really, if you kind of stick to the main two, when you're first starting to look something or you're first starting to hear about something, if you'll ask yourself those questions, well, what is this thing designed to do and how well does it do it? And you can apply that to people as well. And you can say, with Clinton or with uh, Trump or with Sanders or with Cruz or Rubio or any of those guys, you know, you can say, well, okay, here's what they're, here's what they're saying, but is, is, does what they're saying mean anything? Does it have any substance? Are they actually talking about the issues or are they just giving you sound bites? Are they, uh, do they actually have a plan or are they just playing to the crowds? Are, are they kind of this cult of personality? And unfortunately that's what we're seeing a lot of. And a lot of times the people that are talking about the issues or want to talk about the issues and want to say, well, here's, here's my plan. Here's my solution. It may not work, but I want to try something. Those people aren't heard of. Those people are shouted down. Those people are pushed aside. You know, when you look at at stuff like Ron Paul, whether you liked him or hate him, he had a plan when, and in essence, I guess on some level, you can say that Sanders has a plan more so than I think anybody else. His plan is horrible. It's a, it's a, and he doesn't hide it, but he tells you, I, I think with him, sort of what you see is what you get. Kind of like with Ron Paul, kind of like with Gary Johnson. They're saying, this is how I want to run stuff. This is how I think it should work. Now, of course, I, I think in recent stuff, he's kind of backpedaled and kind of gotten away from some of that stuff, but I just, I wonder why we're so gullible. I wonder why, maybe, maybe it's because we've, as a, as a larger society, have we lost the ability to really engage in critical thinking? Have we become 
a people that because we want things a certain way will suspend disbelief and we'll tell ourselves, oh, this guy, he'll get in and he'll do this or this person will get in and do that. And then are we really, are we giving too much credence to uh, the president and actually how much power that they have? Uh, is it all, you know, or or is it a thing of, uh, you know, it's all rigged. It's all uh, a thing of your vote doesn't really matter even when you, if your state goes a certain way, but you know, the people that are there to represent and vote for you the way that they're supposed to, are they going to do that? You know, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's been times where, well, I don't, I don't want to go too far down into the weeds with the electoral college and all this other kind of stuff. But if you do a little bit of research, you see uh, many times where that kind of has failed. Anyway, I'd like to have your thoughts on that. Why are we so gullible? Why does it say, and I don't mean necessarily you or, or me as a listener, but uh, why are we so susceptible to advertising and marketing? And is, is it because we've sort of lived with it for so long that it's kind of worn down our resistance over the years? You know, I don't know. Or has it always been that way? I guess there's always been con men. There's always been people that have been able to trick you, that have been able to get you to buy into their load of bullshit. So, you know, I don't know. Food for thought, I guess. Anyway, I think I think that's going to maybe call it to a close for today. So let's talk about some recommendations on who I think you should be given maybe a shot to, who I think maybe you'd be interested in uh, giving a listen to. There's a, I always like to recommend my my buddy Chaz over at the Road Gunner Podcast. There is uh, Ken and Brian with Modern Rifleman Radio. There's the uh, all our Canuck friends uh, with New Shooter Canada and uh, with uh, Slamfire Radio. Those are, you can always get something out of that stuff. There is I'm seeing it again. Gun Nation. There we go. And uh, they you can always get some good informative information out of there, and it's always a fun show. When they are able to put them out, Pro Arms Podcast always done a good one, and there's tons of others, and I'm sure I'm missing some that I shouldn't that I should be mentioning, and I'm just not. Uh, but anyway, those are some of the big ones that you should listen to. Like I said, there's Gun Talk, and there's uh, Michael Bain with with uh, Downrange Radio, and a lot of times he goes on stuff and has rants that I don't agree with, but meh, you know, I'm sure some of the rants I. <laughs> I go on and talk about it. I'm sure a lot of people don't agree with either. So anyway, different strokes, different folks. I think that's about it. Um, maybe we'll do something a little bit different and I'll recommend. Oh, you know what? Well, yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about it. I was thinking about entertainment stuff and I saw a thing recently. And I think my boy Phil Wong uh, put up an article talking about, uh, Mark Hamill came out and was endorsing like assault weapons ban and, you know, the so-called assault weapons ban and all this other stuff. So anyway, it's funny the reactions that people have when certain actors come out and voice their opinion on stuff. And especially when they come out and they're anti-gun. And a lot of times people on our side of the line get upset about it and they'll start saying, Oh, you know, uh, this guy was always a, you know, a crummy actor and I never liked him anyway. And this, that, and the other thing. And then the opposite is true. If you have a guy that comes out and they, uh, 
they're pro-gun or at least they're not anti-gun and they're, you know, they're saying, well, I think people should be able to you know own this, own that. And then all of a sudden that guy's the best actor. That lady's the best actor. They're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, but, but what really kind of tickles me is when people say, well, I guess I can't watch any more, you know, Mark Hamill movies, or I guess I can't watch it. The reality is most of the people that are in Hollywood are probably anti-gun or if they were pressed on it, whether they were or not would say that they were. If, if you're going to say, I'm not ever going to watch anything by anybody who's anti-gun, you might as well just take your TV and throw it in the garbage right now. Take your radio and turn it off. I guess you could keep your 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 iPhone, but maybe not. There's probably people up in there that you, <laughs> that are in the, the upper echelons of Apple that are anti-gun, so you probably got to throw that out. Probably can't listen to podcasts anymore. There's probably people that make your computer if you're a PC guy, but you can't uh, you can't buy those anymore so i don't know and then it, it kind of also goes to the thing of and i struggle with this with myself I, I i when somebody is saying something that i know or that i believe is is patently wrong and i know from my standpoint that they're misguided and that they're engaging in hyperbole or they're falling prey to hysterics and and abandoning logic and abandoning reason and abandoning critical thinking i've i've fallen to the temptation of wanting to write that person off and you know speak in a derogatory manner about that person and when i find myself doing that i i try and pull back and i try and stop and i try and say okay well the, you know this guy can have an opinion different than mine. This guy can can do that. And if I don't like his opinion or her opinion, and if I don't like what they say that they believe and they stand for, and if I don't like what they would like to see happen, I don't have to resort to name calling. I don't have to resort to attacking them. I can attack their position. And I can say, I think that they're wrong on this and here's why. And, you know, on, on that, we're also pretty good at eating our own. I remember there was a thing, I guess, where, uh, what's his name? Uh, old Magpole dude, uh, Travis Haley, had a negligent discharge during a video. And a lot of people jumped all over him. And then a lot of people, you know, kind of crapped all over him. And then a lot of people came to his defense, but from like a sycophantic aspect, if you know what I mean. It was like they were there sort of licking the you know licking his boots and and other parts of his anatomy if they could in the rush to defend him and I thought well you could you could defend him you could make your points on on uh on stuff and I actually watched the video of him and what he was doing is he was showing you know these are some stuff these are some ways to carry with your finger off the trigger, but kind of, and they were very kind of bizarre ways to carry. And he basically, I think what his point was, is he was saying, you know, the theory is on on this, you've got your finger inside the trigger guard and it's pushed up against the trigger guard away from the trigger so that if you fall or if you do whatever, it would, it would blah, blah, blah. And this would be like, I guess, and he was showing it on an AK. So the safety would be off. And then he was kind of messing around with it and he didn't have his ear pro on. And I think he was just sort of doing, I don't know if he was, uh, just a rehearsal type thing or, or what was going on. But the stuff that I saw, he was, he was like, bang, and it went off. And I thought, oh, 
Well, yeah, that, that, you know, if, if you're doing that kind of stupid stuff, meaning that I don't think he advocates any of that stuff for carrying or how you would properly, you know, carry the firearm with a, with a round in the chamber type stuff. But I thought there was a missed opportunity there. And I thought that he could have come out and said, look, here, I was showing this stuff and this is what happened. It can happen to me. I've got tons of stuff. I got a little complacent with it. And this is what happens. Luckily, nobody got hurt. There's also stuff, I, I think recently there was a thing with, oh, uh, was it tactical response? And I know some people like him and like his company, which is uh, James Jaeger. I don't think for me, based on uh, based on a lot of the stuff that, that I've kind of seen happen over the years and some of the practices that they engage in, I don't think for me, I would want to go train there. I think there's other places and other people that I would train with long before I would, I would go be a student of his. Does that mean that everything that he says is wrong and that I think he's a horrible, wretched person? No. But again, I don't want to attack him. I, I think some of the, the practices that they do are, is where the fault is. And I think that some of those things maybe, from my perspective, need to be changed. Obviously, from his perspective, they're fine. Uh, and this is, you know, some of the stuff that, that having gone through some training and having, having been with some people that I would consider probably some of the best in the, in the world. Uh, and I'm talking about like Masada Ayub and how he, uh, how, how they want to run the range and how, um, you're not going to have a bunch of bullshit and nonsense that's going on. You, when you see somebody sort of at that level and then you compare it to other people, you're like, Oh, okay. I think maybe they need to reevaluate some of the stuff that they do. Again, does that make that person a bad person? I'm not just speaking about Jaeger, but other people as well that I've seen. Uh, does it make them a bad person? No. Does it maybe mean that they need to be reevaluating some of the stuff that they're doing because maybe they're doing that in order to be kind of out there and controversial. And then there are some people that are controversial just because of their personalities. But if you separate that from actually what they're, what they're teaching uh, if you look at a guy like uh, um, a Gabe Suarez that's out here in my neck of the woods, he's up in Prescott, or at least he used to be. I think he still is. I would like to take some some training from him just to kind of see. I don't think that he does anything that is uh, patently unsafe. He maybe his personality isn't. You know, he and I aren't going to be taking long walks on the beach holding hands, but that doesn't mean I still couldn't learn something from him. He, or, you know, I may meet the guy and may, may think he's the nicest guy in the world. I may hit it off with him, but eventually I want to do some training with him as well. I also would like to eventually get out to uh, Kansas way or if, uh, and, and train with Daniel over at Thunderbird tactical, uh, or if he goes somewhere else, eventually I'd like to, uh, eventually where he ends up, do some training with him. The stuff that I've seen with him and, and when people that I've, that have had training with him that I've talked to, uh, very professional, doesn't engage in a lot of nonsense or it's a term I'm looking for, sort of ego stroking type stuff. And when I've talked to him, uh, I've, like I said, I had him on the show and I got to talk to him a little bit afterwards and had a good conversation with him. He seems like a real level-headed guy. And I'd like to get him actually back on the show again. I have some questions for him about short barrel stuff and suppressors and and things like that. So I'm sure he's too busy to listen to this show, but, uh, 
Uh, I'm going to, I'll shoot him an email here in the next couple of weeks and see if I can't get him back on the show if he has time. So anyway, I think now for, for reals, I will draw it to a close. I think I've rambled on quite enough for you guys. Again, I would love to hear from you. Send me in any experience you have with suppressors, any experience you have with a good threaded barrel for a 22, either for a Mark 22. Uh, Let me know what you think I should, should I just kind of keep what I got? And then because of the cost of those things, just maybe buy something again, like that Walther P22. Let me know what you think. And I tell you what, I will talk to you guys next time.